the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House, entitled Finding Hope in Times of Grief, available at Christian bookstores throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. Its authors, Preston and Glenda Parrish, with us today, talking about their experience um, recently of having lost their 25-year-old son and uh, Preston's father all within the same week. One of the issues when we go through an experience like this, um, Preston, uh, there's oftentimes, I think, the sense of pressure, be it real or imagined, to kind of get back to business as usual, get back to normal. And so we rush to go back to work, uh, kind of resume our, our daily routines, and I think in the process fail to take the time to really take care of ourselves and 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 fully recognize this is a significant loss this is a loss of an you know a, an important person in my life as you suggested earlier like having a an appendage that has has been amputated and and to try and ignore it or or pretend as if we're over it and we're back to life again as a sign of strength which i would imagine in some cases is actually more weakness than anything else well, that's right, Craig, and our society does sadly encourage people to try to ignore it, suck it up, and go on, but obviously we are human beings. God has made us with emotions. We do have feelings, and we must face them and deal with them, and that is a part of what grief involves. Uh, grief and depression are actually fairly closely related if you read literature on clinical psychology, uh, persistence of sad or anxious or empty feelings, feelings of hopelessness and pessimism, a sense of irritability, restlessness, of being slowed down, fatigue or loss of energy, uh, feelings of worthlessness or guilt or fear, uh, increase or loss of appetite, difficulty concentrating. You mentioned that earlier, remembering details, uh, making decisions, uh, not sleeping or sleeping too much. Uh, loss of interest in activities that used to be pleasurable. All of these symptoms go with grief. Now, if they occur soon after the loss of a loved one, uh, they are not necessarily clinical depression. They are just grief. And so there's no way that you can be going through those kinds of, of feelings and emotions and experiences and just somehow pretend, oh, well, it's all okay. Uh, to do that's like trying to walk with concrete blocks attached to your legs. You're not going to go very far very fast. And so the healthy response is to indeed acknowledge before God and to yourself and, in fact, with your family and with everybody around you, I have had this major event happen in my life, and it is having a huge effect on me, and I'm going to be real about it. I'm going to be honest about it. And nicely, but very honestly, this isn't about you. It's about me and about the Lord and about my loved ones who are walking through this with me. And we're going to do what we need to do to handle it and respond to it. This especially comes into play, for example, in facing first occasions, uh, first birthdays, first Thanksgivings, first Christmases, other such events. 
everybody has to do that in the way that works best for them. I don't read in the Bible so-called spiritual ways to handle those kinds of events. And so you really do have to prayerfully seek the best way to do that for yourself, for your family. And sometimes that may not square with other people's expectations or impressions. But you know what? That's okay. And, and do you find, too, that this sense of differences in the way people, as we you know, we're all unique, we have special, unique relationships with Christ, the person who passes away, we all have a different relationship with that individual, and so this process of dealing with the pain, the loss, the grief, finding our way into a place of hope, it's different from every, for everybody, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, you know, Dr. Gary Chapman has written the helpful book on the five love languages. He was very kind to give a word of endorsement for finding hope in times of grief. But just as everybody expresses and receives love differently, uh, I think there is a sense in, in which people express and work through grief differently. For some, uh, they, they withdraw and they think and they write. Others give themselves to intensive physical activity. Some people uh, travel. Uh, some people throw themselves into their work even more. Uh, some people, you know, have very different responses. And all of that's okay as long as it's uh, a way by which a person is honestly seeking to draw near to the Lord in their time of need. Now, obviously, you can't use these things as an escape and certainly not uh, alcohol or drugs or, or, or other practices as a way of trying to escape the pain. The pain will not be escaped. It is there. Uh, you can't bury a worm. It always finds its way back to the surface. And so you really do have to face it, but there can be tremendous uh, diversity and variety in the way we face it uh, as long as we're being honest with ourselves and before the Lord and seeking God's help and healing. And ultimately, it all does come back to the fact that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis for our confidence, for our hope for the future. There's this enormous misconception about hope in our society. It's many times thought of as kind of like somebody's getting ready to kick a field goal and you close your eyes and you cross your fingers and you, you think positive thoughts and somehow maybe that's going to make the ball go through the uprights. Well, wishful thinking is not hope. Hope is confidence based on the fact that in Jesus Christ, we do have victory over the grave and that even though right now can be awful in the moment by moment, ultimately God is with us. He will see it through us, see us through it. And uh, for those who trust in him, uh, our destination for eternity is in the very presence of Almighty God and with those we love who have trusted him. We're looking forward to the day when we see Nathan again. And Glenda, you really have to put your, your trust, don't you, in the Lord in terms of the Lord guiding you, showing you through what the process will be for you as you deal with the loss. You address the grief. You move to that side of hope that, as Preston points out, is different for all of us. No person can say, well, you need to be at this point in your recovery and this kind of progress at this schedule. It really is different for all of us, and only God can really help walk us through that. Am I right? That's exactly right. I think it was about 24 hours after Nathan died. The first, My first response was to collapse on my bathroom floor and just cry out to God, Oh, Jesus, help me, my son, my son. And I just resorted to my rocking chair in my bedroom, and I had just screamed out to God, My child, my child. And it was as if God impressed upon my heart, Glenda, 
she is my child. Mm. And I had to quickly um, agree with that because Preston and I had turned all of our children back to the Lord once they were born. And I had, my job as his parent was over. And I just had to come to terms with the fact that he was now with his perfect heavenly father. And that brought me hope. And we, I would see God that way in the most difficult moments. And um, so that, that is the hope that we saw. And that's the hope that we know. And that's the hope that he will give to anybody that's walking the road of grief. Let me, let me ask you to stay with us for a moment. I want to pause on this point. When we come back, talk about the challenge of finding strength in this process as you want that moment to break down and cry. You just want to go and have yourself a, you know, a nice, good, solid cry, and yet you have to be strong for others because you have a husband, a wife, you have children that are relying upon you. How do you get through that? Find time for yourself, allow yourself to grieve, and yet deal with the stuff that has to be dealt with no matter what. A look at finding hope in times of grief. Preston and Glenda Parrish with me tonight. We'll be back with more and some closing thoughts as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts with Preston and Glenda Parrish, a look at finding hope in times of grief. As we mentioned at the onset, loss of loved ones is something that's a natural part of life, and yet we feel as if our very insides have been ripped out. And then there's that process of how do we deal with this? How do we memorialize the loved one? How do we move on? And yet in the process of moving on, always keep part of them with us. Many of those insights detailed inside this book. And I guess the the one thing that we need to be mindful of in this, um, uh, Preston, and that is that no individual can really tell us how to grieve or what the process ought to be like, because that is unique for every one of us, is it not? I think that's correct. Grief is not some paint-by-the-numbers exercise. It's different for each person going through it. But what's important is that each person get to the place where in their grief, in their valley, they experience the one who walks through the valley with us, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is possible for people listening right now going through grief. It may have been all they could do today to get up out of bed without throwing up, or maybe they threw up anyway. And they wonder, am I ever going to feel better? Is life ever going to be different again? Is it ever going to be not raining in my world? Well, the answer is that God is with you. He will not forsake you. He will walk with you through your unique personal circumstances. He understands every fear, every tear that you have. He understands every factor in your situation that nobody else knows. And he walks through grief with us individually and will usher us into the confidence, the hope of Christ, if we will just cling to him. Tell me a bit about the process of remaining strong. You both had to deal with this as you've lost a son, Preston, you've lost a father, and yet you've got kids now that are still relying upon you. Um, You're dealing with the grief, the loss, the pain, and yet this aspect that, that you've got to be strong for the kids and life goes on. How do you go about managing all of that? Well, in a word, prayer, uh, within minutes after receiving the call about Nathan's death, the day after we buried Daddy, my personal prayer was quite literally and out loud, Lord, you know I'm hurting, 
you know what I need, but for now, I'm just going to leave that with you. Uh, my family needs me right now, and in your time and your way, I trust you to minister to me in the, all the ways that I need it. But for now, for this moment, in this phone call that needs to be made, in this person that needs to be told, in this decision or matter that needs to be dealt with, please give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me the perspective to keep putting one foot in front of the other and to do this well for your glory and for my family. And thank God he's so faithful. Uh, he really is with us. He really does carry us as a shepherd carries a sheep on its shoulders. He carries us. And he really is meat for the moment. He's enough for whatever moments we face. And he will help us face those those hard moments, even when we just do not have it in us, as I did not. And then in time, uh, he, in his faithfulness and love and mercy and understanding, does indeed come to us as well uh, in our own needs and our own personalities and minister his comfort and peace and healing to us as well. Uh, for me, it really happened weeks and months down the road. Uh, months later, I remember I was sitting on an airplane traveling in conjunction with our ministry. And just out of nowhere, for no explainable reason, tears just began streaming down my face. And images of Nathan, our son, began flooding my mind. And uh, it was a little embarrassing sitting there on an airplane just... Uh, weeping. I uh, didn't want to make the passengers around me uncomfortable, but at the same time, it was absolutely part of God's healing and therapy for me. I wouldn't have chosen for it to happen in C3C, but that apparently was the right time in God's sight, and I think there was something healing and therapeutic about that moment as well as many others we've been through. So God does meet our needs, but, you know, a part of maturity is getting beyond what about me, what about me, to, to being able to trust the Lord with our needs and say, okay, but Lord, how do you want me to use me with the others in my life, and how do you want to use me for your glory? And he really will help us to do that if we'll trust him. Absolutely. And I think then, too, the notion that sometimes, like the event that you talked about, is going to happen. And that's okay. I remember one time for me when I had lost my grandmother who practically raised me after my folks were divorced. Um, we would oftentimes, if we saw TV programs that we thought the other would enjoy, would pick up the phone and call uh, and say, hey, there's a great show on XYZ Channel. Tune in and watch it. And I remember one Saturday evening, this is probably easily four to six months after she passed away. Uh, a show came on TV that I thought she would like, and absentmindedly, I walked to the telephone, dialed the number, and sat there listening to the phone ringing. And after seven or eight rings, I remember looking up at the clock on the kitchen wall and thinking, well, where should could she be at this time of night on a Saturday evening? Yeah. And it dawned on me. And, of course, I, I, I began to cry. I sat the phone down. For a moment, I felt so terribly foolish that it's almost as if the, the whole events of what had transpired with her hospitalization and her death had just slipped out of my mind for a moment, and I was suddenly back to our old routines again. But, Craig, that, that was a beautiful moment. And, and in the book, we talk about uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, the well-known story of his marriage to his wife, Joy Gresham, and she died of cancer just a few years after they married. But they talked about this pain 
that we experience when someone we love dies. And, and then, of course, the question naturally comes on the heels of it. Well, why love if it's going to hurt so badly when someone is taken from us? And Lewis and, and Gresham had this wonderful response between them. The pain now, the pain then is part of the pleasure now. The, the pleasure now is part of the pain then. That's the deal. We live in a world right now where those two things are inseparably intertwined. One day God will wipe away every tear, but a moment like you had there in, in your experience after your grandmother's death is a beautiful testimony to, to the reality of the love you had with each other, and then absolutely with that, the pain of not having that one with us anymore. And I think, too, uh, Glenda, that sense of always having them with you to one degree or another. Um, you know, I, I look at things today now, uh, and I see so much of the influence of her on my life. Uh, I mean, I, I, I even if it comes to getting behind the stove and cooking an Italian meal, I you know I do certain things now because I know that's the way she did them, and it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of of your day to day life, and and those things bring back as as Preston suggests those wonderful fond memories that keeps a part of them. I think in a sense alive, at least in your heart. That is really the truth. One of the things that I said to Preston in the first few weeks was it's so hard to believe how intertwined one person can become in every facet of your life, and you don't even realize it until they're gone. And Nathan was 25, so he had not lived at home for quite some time, but I still, after he died, would open drawers and see something he had written or something that he had made. And it would just take me back, just like when you called your grandmother. But one of the things I missed the most about him was his voice. And I didn't can can cancel his cell phone um, really for a year and a half. And sometimes I would just call it to be able to listen to his voice. And so those things are very difficult. But those are the kinds of things and the places that God will meet you if you ask him. Amen. And, and, and meet you, I might add, in a very significant way. The book again called Finding Hope in Times of Grief, newly published by Harvest House and available again at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. And our thanks again to Preston and Glenda Parrish for being with us tonight. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, it's amazing. We look at the way... Technology and information has changed so rapidly, and we see the growing face of the demographics in our nation today, uh, certainly uh, most notably in a state like California. Somebody had the comment to me the other day, you know, for uh, much of the early history of the United States up until uh, probably the last 50 or 60 years, and, and to a great degree it continues to this day, though not as prominently, uh, America had been the biggest and most active sending nation in terms of sending nations or sending individuals overseas to the nations to bring about uh, the um, uh, dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've learned in more recent years that uh, while that can be uh, effective, uh, even more still, it's effective to help train nationals because not only is it um, uh, better stewardship from the economics of it all, but then too, you're not having to call upon 
on individuals to suddenly immerse themselves in a new culture, a new language, new surroundings, which takes some time for acclimation before you can really become effective at what you're doing in terms of ministering to people on the ground in country. With all of that said, a buddy of mine the other day made the observation. He says, you know, with the changing demographics of America and the way the Internet uh, has has made this um, spinning sphere of ours called planet Earth so small, it's almost as if the world has come to us. And in many degrees, it has. And this is a, perhaps a renewed opportunity for we as the church, the body of Christ, to understand the rare and unique opportunity that we have to uh, share the good news, to share that hope uh, and the and the good news of the answer that we have through Christ Jesus. With that thought in mind, when we talk about um, the world and we get down to the missiology of, of a Christian worldview, what exactly is that? What do we mean by that? Well, with some in-depth look at how to become a world-class Christian... Becoming a part of God's global kingdom, we're joined now by a best-selling author, Paul Brothrick. And uh, Paul, great to have you on the program tonight. Thanks, Greg. Good to be out on the West Coast, at least by voice. Yeah, I must say, I, I guess welcome back. As I understand it, the last time that you were out here, uh, unless there's an in-between trip that I hadn't heard about, the last time you were out in our fair city, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Oh, I think I've had a few trips in between. Yeah, okay. I was was there during uh, the October 1989 shakeup. I think it was 89, wasn't it? It was 91. 1989, October 17th to be precise. I was down at the Hyatt Regency Berlin game at a conference. I was teaching at about 5.15, and the room began to shake. Of course, I thought it was the Holy Ghost coming upon us, but uh, (laughs) it turned out to be an earthquake which was my first and only earthquake experience. I'm from the Boston area all my life, and uh, so it was quite an unusual experience, to say the least. Well, we're, we're pleased uh, to have the distinction of uh, having provided you with your first and, and hopefully only experience in, in such matters. But it, it's interesting as we start our visit tonight, uh, Paul, with a reference to uh, the, the ground shaking. We've certainly seen a lot of that, too, in the spiritual realm, haven't we? You know, I made, made reference in my opening remarks to how the world is getting so much smaller and how that in many respects, as we had been uh, the, the largest and most active sending nation in terms of sending missionaries overseas, how that in many respects, the world is now coming to us. Absolutely. And, you know, outside of the actual time that Jesus walked the earth, I actually can't think of a time in Christian history that's more exciting to be alive than today. Partly because all those American and European lives that got laid down as uh, martyrs for Christ, you know, a century and a, or 50 years ago, uh, their lives have brought forth fruit. And now you have uh, the whole church, as the saying goes, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And uh, it's just a staggering thing. And as I think you quoted earlier, uh, the world has come to us. And I was reading not too long ago a statistic that said the United Nations is citing the fact that the United States is the only country on Earth with someone from every other country on Earth living in it. Mm. And, you know, when we used to have to go to some really difficult places, in many respects, many of us 
can reach the unreached peoples of the world simply by reaching out to the, uh, you know, our Muslim coworker or the uh, the Buddhist guy who's down the street or the Hindu who happens to be my medical doctor. I mean, you know, it's it's amazing how the world has changed. We sit here with these devices in the palm of our hand that allows us to text, email. Uh, we can look up uh, websites anywhere around the globe. I think we certainly today is as Americans have got a pretty good understanding of what it means to be globally connected. But I have to wonder, though, Paul, from a Christian perspective, um, as much as the the technology has advanced quite nicely, has the theology kept up with it? Meaning, uh, as as we understand what it means to be globally connected, do Christians really understand also what means to be uh, globally concerned? I think that that's an excellent question. Um, and I think obviously the answer is going to vary according to the Christian you talk to. The, the sad reality is that technology has given us access to more knowledge than any of us can possibly handle. And as a result, uh, we can become either numb to it or we just shrug it off and say, I can't do anything. I can't make any difference at all. And, uh, you know, you mentioned this book, Being a World-Class Christian. Um, it, it's really about trying to help people see that, you know, you might not be able to change the world, but you might be able to do something of global significance right in your own community, right in your own neighborhood, or at your workplace, or something like that. But I think you're right. It's Technology has made it uh, so overwhelming that, you know, you, you, you go live to the tsunami in Sri Lanka, and by the third day of seeing it, you're just numb to it because you can't really do that much about it. And it's just another news report to you after a while. And I think that's, you know, we, most of us have forgotten to be praying for Egypt. And yet a year ago, Egypt was every day in the news. Now it's still going through the news, but we're not paying as much attention to it because we have kind of a short attention span. Well, and the new technology, too, you know, where uh, heretofore it might have taken months for the news to arrive from overseas and be disseminated across the spans of a country like the United States, uh, typically by word of mouth, uh, Telegraph to a degree, and 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 the printed page now happens in the matter of seconds, and as quickly as it comes, it's also uh, just as quickly replaced by something else. Uh, you, you made reference to the idea that we might be able to make some changes, we might be able to have some influence, but I have to wonder, uh, as Christians living in this modern world with all that's going on around us, as we speak to that notion of being globally concerned. Is this something that is an option for some believers or does it really kind of narrow down to being a mandate? Well, it depends on what Bible you're going to use. <laughs> I mean, frankly, if you look in the scriptures, you cannot escape the fact that God's vision, God's view is for the world and for his people because for whatever mysterious reason God has chosen to do his work in the world through people, broken people, forgiven people like you and me, and every one of us has some degree of responsibility. In other words, the mandate, since you used that word, that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven, you know, to make disciples of all nations, or to preach the gospel to all creation, or to uh, to be you know preach the gospel beginning in Jerusalem to all the nations. I mean, all those things that they still um, remain for each Christian today. And our question is not, 
where we are sent. I'm sorry, our question is not if we are sent into the world, the question is where. And, you know, opening our eyes to the global realities that God said in the Psalms, you know, declare my glory to the nations, my wonderful deeds to all peoples, that's still binding on us today. It's not a matter of just, you know, tucking ourselves away in our safe little bubble and, uh, and thanking God that we have a nice prosperous life. It's about looking out into the world and saying, what difference can I make that God has uniquely equipped me for? Today, we're talking about uh, what it means to be a world-class Christian. Uh, Let me be careful that we didn't say a worldly Christian. A lot of folks have got that down pat. We're talking about being a world-class Christian. And with us is best-selling author Paul Brothwick. We're going to come back after a brief timeout, dive a little bit deeper in here, you know, as we talk about the way in which uh, television, satellite, and the Internet and technology has, uh, has brought us closer together. I wonder if it's also made us easier to be more uh, spectators as to what is going on in the world around us as opposed to being participants. We'll dive into that question as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe... U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, we thank you very much. That that tortured answer, as much as we listen to it, also demonstrative of a huge need for uh, deeper education. When you begin to realize that beyond the notion that uh, fewer than Three in ten graduates think it's important to know the locations of countries in the news. And fully 66% can't even find Iraq or Saudi Arabia on a map. That a large percentage of them even can't uh, can't even find America. Of course, I guess they lack maps. And call Google on that one, would you? I, it just is demonstrative of what seems to be a greater level of global connectivity, and yet we're we're not even participating. We're just kind of very casual spectators to it all at many levels. We're visiting today with best-selling author Paul Brothwick. His new book is called How to Be a World-Class Christian, Becoming Part of God's Global Kingdom. Uh, Paul, that, that tortured answer there from uh, a, a beauty pageant contestant a couple of years ago, certainly uh, troubling in terms of just the notion of the, of the level of, of, of disconnectivity at a day and an age when, quite frankly, staying connected and being educated and, and being able to participate is easier now than it ever was before. Well, I've, I've had an elder at our church ask us, uh, what is the capital of Africa? And, uh, and you know, if you don't get that that's a, uh, a joke, it's there are 53 or 55 countries in Africa, each with their own capital, you know, and yet he thinks of Africa as a country, not as a continent, you know. And, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, I oftentimes ask 
um, people who are either new to this country or international students, what's the stupidest question that an American has ever asked you? And I had a student this past semester from Malawi, southeast in Africa, and um, and I asked him what is the stupidest question, and they they somebody he was up in uh, Maine, not, not too far from us, and the church that he was hosted by asked him when he started wearing clothes. <laughs> All right, and and he thought it was a joke. Sure. So he said, well. When I came to New York, after I got through customs, I decided to buy some clothes. And the people were horrified, and he knew they weren't kidding, meaning that they didn't know. And he, because they were thinking, you know, he had come all the way over here buck naked and bought clothes on the other side of customs in New York City. <laughs> and yet they were, you know, and one of my uh, friends in Nigeria said he got so tired of Americans asking him how he learned English when Nigeria is an English-speaking country. And he said, uh, he said, finally, I got, I just had to tell him I was, I learned it on the plane on the flight over, <laughs> you know, but I mean, to be fair, and I, I, you know, I can be as critical as anybody about Americans lack of geography knowledge. Uh, but to be fair, there is hardly a place on planet earth where you can travel for 3000 continuous miles speak one language, go to Denny's, you know, stay at Hampton Inn, ride on highways that look all remarkably the same in terms of their signposts and everything. So, I mean, in one sense, unlike a country like Luxembourg or Switzerland, where we're surrounded by three or four other language-speaking countries, you know, Americans can be pretty lazy about it. Now, I mean, obviously, um, the influx of Spanish speakers and Chinese speakers, Korean speakers, whatever, is changing some of that in our urban areas. But generally speaking, we don't have to learn about the other countries of the world. And many times I've traveled and people will say they know more about my country, meaning the USA, than I do. And sometimes they do because they are directly affected by the decisions that our government makes and decisions that our military makes. And I'm, you know, it's, it affects me somewhat, but not on a day-to-day basis, generally speaking. As the world is coming more to us, and, and as we certainly, as you've explained earlier, Paul, not been relieved of any obligation in terms of, you know, the, the perspective of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth, um, how can, how should Christians begin to develop uh, not just a Christian worldview, but how to become a world-class Christian? Well, I think one of the things that I advocate in the book is obviously cultivating some information, you know, learning about places, that that the Islam of Iran is not the same as the Islam of Iraq, for example. And uh, and what's going on in Egypt affects the entire Arabic-speaking world. Or, you know, learning something about what uh, one article in Time magazine calls the upcoming Chindian century, and it's talking about how the economies of China and India will probably be more significant in the next hundred years than the USA. And wrestling with those kind of questions, even if we disagree with them, to just get some information that sort of rattles our cage a little bit, because the United States, depending on whose statistics you use, is really only about 5% of the world's population. And so if God so loved the world, John 3.16, then there's a lot to be learned about the world that God loves outside of our own country, as well as within it. One very simple thing that I propose in the book, and in the time that we had on the radio, I want to make sure to say this, because every person 
when you start thinking about the world, can feel pretty overwhelmed by it. So my, my number one creative idea, and I think it's the only one I've ever had, is start your knowledge for the world by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. Okay? So when you take your clothes off, you change any pajamas or whatever tonight, take a look at it, see where it's made, and pray for that country. And I dare say that probably 90% of the clothes in your closet are made someplace else in the world. And you can start learning about them. You know, China's obviously going to be there. India, world's largest Hindu country. Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim country. And these places are touching us that way just to get us started thinking about the fact that the world is in our midst, starting with our own, our own wardrobe. And as we pointed out earlier, and, and the world is coming to us, and so the ability to be educated, to be sensitive, particularly as we take into consideration uh, religious differences, cultural viewpoints, uh, can only help but to make us not only more sensitive, but more effective when it comes to sharing the gospel. Yeah, and, and I believe, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of debates about immigration and unregistered people, and illegal aliens, and all this other stuff. But in, very, in one very specific Christian perspective on it is, I want people to abide by the law. That's not my point. But they're here, and maybe God brought them here so they could hear the gospel from us. As one Toronto pastor said, Toronto is probably the most international city in, US, in, in, the, uh, in North America. Uh, and he, he's a Toronto pastor, and he said, uh, God commanded us to go to all the nations. We didn't go, so he's bringing all the nations to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can go down to Southern California and meet a scad of people from, uh, from Iran. They'll call themselves Persians, but they're from Iran, and many of them are adherents to Shiite Islam or to uh, Zoroastrianism, a religion from Iran. And they may have never heard the gospel till they came to come to this country. And if we don't reach out to them, they may still never hear the gospel. And it's just, you know, an amazing uh, opportunity that God's given us. Uh, one, one quick uh, lesson that I learned from one of my professors. He said, when you're walking down the street, let's say in the Bay Area, you're walking down, you know, uh, streets in San Francisco, and you see a man uh, with his wife, she has a headscarf on, or, you know, there's something about their attire that tells you that distinctively some other religion. Maybe he has, he has the turban on, and he tells you, he tells you he's a Sikh. He says, he says, pray as you pass by that person, just breathe a prayer, shoot up a prayer on behalf of that person. He said, you might be praying for someone who's never been prayed for in Jesus' name before in their whole lives. And you're bringing that person before Jesus for the first time. And I mean, think of that as, you know, what a staggering opportunity that we have when the people have come to our country because they're finding this is the place for, you know, uh, a better economic future. But why not help give them a better eternal future? We mentioned earlier that in addition to just taking the time to get educated and something simple is maybe saying, uh, you know, I'm going to see where my shirt was made, 
Google the name, look at the country, pray for that country tonight. Um, you you talk to a lot in the book about uh, um, being able to get a, a focus on being globally aware. Certainly, compassion fatigue sometimes can be a challenge, as we lightly touched on earlier. But when we bring this whole thing together, how do you believe that God wants us to develop to develop this this Christian worldview? How to become uniquely a world class Christian? Well, I think that uh, it has something to do with a phrase that I picked up off a bumper sticker. I don't even think it was Christian by nature, but it said, "It says think globally, act locally." Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that's a great summary of what I'm after in my own life. You know, as well as uh, in encouragement in this book to to realize that a we're part of a global Christian family. So when the church suffers in, I'll use Egypt, since I referred to that earlier, uh, that my family is suffering, you know, so I, I'm thinking about that. But I'm also acting locally so that when I meet the uh, Egyptian guy at the medical clinic, uh, I, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, I might be reaching out to someone that my friends in Egypt have never been able to reach. And so... You know, it's all a matter of a mindset. It's going into the day. I mean, just this morning I was uh, preparing my breakfast and remembered to pray for Columbia, South America, because when I picked the sticker off of the bananas, uh, it, it was actually harvested in Columbia. It says it right there on the sticker. You know, just sort of keeping aware of the fact that there's a bigger world than just the world that I'm in. and. You know, many many people are struggling with the economics of the, t- the situation today. Maybe they're in a unemployment situation or underemployment. But just trying to get past ourselves a little bit to realize there's a big world out there and uh, we have an awesome God and we need to get plugged into thinking of ourselves as his agents in this world, whether we're in the unemployment line or we're in the gas station talking to somebody who might have just come here from another country. Get a copy of Paul's book. This will open your eyes and help you develop more of this sense of that Christian worldview. How to be a world-class Christian becoming part of God's global kingdom. And our thanks to Paul Bothwick for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline. The book, by the way, published by Inner Varsity Press and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.